Hello world, this is Better Tech, a podcast where we chat with some of the most successful leaders about the latest industry developments. So join us as we explore the world reliant on tech. Hello everyone, my name is Roshan uh, from Better Tech and today, today on the show with us we have Chad Sheridan who is the CIO at Net Impact Strategies. So Chad, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. So Chad, uh, before we begin uh, the conversation, could you please introduce yourself and uh, your past experiences and what you do at your firm? Sure, so I'm the Chief Innovation Officer at Net Impact Strategies. Uh, we're a, a medium-sized company supporting the United States federal government. I've been here for a little over nine months and my role here is really to build out the capabilities and practices to drive digital transformation to our government clients. Before I came to Net Impact, uh, I worked uh, almost 27 years in the federal government in a whole lot of different roles, uh, most recently working at the Department of Agriculture uh, as both a bureau chief, chief information officer as well as running all development and operations for one of the mission areas. I think that was about a $600 million a year spend with 250 feds and about 1,000 contractors. So we, we delivered application supporting over 50 different federal programs at USDA. Uh, before I came to USDA, I worked almost uh, 19 years with the Department of Navy uh, as an engineer, and then I got into IT. I used to design and build nuclear-powered ships and then worked on IT issues both afloat and ashore uh, with, the, with the Department of Navy. Right. So, Chad, one of the, uh, one of the most frequently searched queries about, around CIOs is what's the difference between a chief information officer and a chief innovation officer? So could you please uh, guide our audience to that? Yeah, so, you know, for, for, for the purposes of our company, we, we looked at it from a chief information officer for my company would be somebody that really focuses internally on the solutions necessary for us as a company. And if we, let's say we were not in the services business for the government, uh, and I look at my larger uh, system integrators, really it's focusing on all of the tools and the capabilities necessary for the company to function. If I were a product-based company, I think the distinction would be less. Uh, so in my role, I'm entirely customer focused. So my job is to create innovations for us to go deliver uh, solutions for the federal government, solutions and products for the federal government. Uh, so I think the, the innovation officer, information officer blends a little bit more in a commercial world where you're selling products to a, to a larger community. For us, we made the distinction in title so that everybody understood my, my focus was external. My focus was on our government customers. Right, that's great. So uh, the topic of our podcast today is centered around digital transformation. So uh, what is digital transformation to you as a CIO? Uh, and, and I'm gonna frame this in, in terms of the government. I look at it as, the government especially, and I think this is true in the commercial industry as well, we all grew up in our processes around processes built around paper. And, and the first wave of, of digital or electronic work in the government and in industry 
really just electronified the, the paper workflow processes. These are electronified paper pushing. And so I see digital transformation as bringing uh, the core of what's capable in a digital world to the business processes of government. So whether you're handling your internal services, HR, finance, you name it, or whether you're providing services to the citizens, it's, it's going digital first. So our job is really to, to start with understanding the needs of our government customers and helping them make their way through the journey from where they are today to uh, an agency that's digital at their core. Right. So uh, one other term that is frequently used is simply digitization of processes. So uh, if you're mm -hmm. working, your uh, most of your workflows are based around manual processes uh, on paper or even on Excel sheets. Uh, so how does that, uh, how is that different from digital transformation or is there any difference at all? I think there are different sides of the same coin. So I, I think, Part of it is we, you have to approach the customer where they're at. So telling them that, and, and I think a lot of these mistakes were made in the 90s and the 2000s, right? Telling them they need to take their entire world to this big, large ERP system, and that's your digital transformation, really, I think, was a failure on our part, a failure on the industry's part to help companies and customers through this idea of, Getting to use the power of computers and digital processing is, is about mindset shifts. It's about process shifts. It's about changing the way you do business because of what technology does. And I, I remember hearing some of these crazy things like, we're not in the business of changing your business process because of technology. And I, I think that was a a weak lead-in for CIOs because you're not you're saying I'm a service provider, not a, a partner, right? I believe and I've always believed, and maybe it's because I grew up as an as a product person and an engineer that right, everything you do is about what you deliver. So if I'm a CIO, I'm gonna walk with you hand in hand to help you understand your processes and tell you where technology can improve change and not just electronify what you know the work you do um, to me if you're not doing that as a cio then you're missing the most important part of being a cio which is that trusted partner to take technology and transform how you can do business um, that that to me is if you're not doing that as a cio you've missed digital transformation altogether. So how do people receive that? Uh, for example, when you're pitching it to someone in the government that you need to optimize your processes or that you need to digitize your processes, uh, how do they receive it? And uh, it, it takes a little time. It takes some time because, uh, you know, people want to put CIOs or IT organizations into a box like, hey, look, I give you the money, you go give me the solution. I was like, wait a minute, that's not the way work. The world works, and I think government has been the last frontier of that change, mainly because you know companies realized that that elevating the the position of the CIO, making them really somebody with a seat at the table, actually affected the bottom line, and so. 
there was an upside play to this. So you go, you implement a, a CRM system, an ERP system, you're doing that because you want more market share, right? You're going to grow because of it. And so the return on investment, the business case for technology and the CIO is greater value, right? Yes, there's cost savings, you know, that's a part of it, but that's the secondary part. Well, government has always tended to be the opposite where we make investments of technology and the return on investment or the business case is about saving money. And the only reason that is, is because that's what we can measure, right? Measuring the value of the services government delivers is probably one of the hardest things to do. And agencies, you know, no matter what laws and regulations say that we're supposed to do that, agencies have struggled with how to measure the value of delivery, especially with many of these programs having, right, one flavor says this program is not needed, another flavor says this is the most important program ever. And so how do you get a, an objective measure, right, revenue, profits, Great objective measure, um, customer satisfaction. I mean, there's, there's more than just money around the commercial value proposition, but it all stems around the, are you growing and achieving profit and return for your investors? So that's where I think the government struggles in painting the investments in technology as a positive gain to business value vice just uh, a cost savings. The next question would be, how do you see, uh, where do you see digital transformation heading going into 2021 uh, with regards to what the government's initiatives are and how the government's policies might affect that? I, I think, I think the, the uh, prognosis is good. Um, you know, between, I think the last three, last two administrations and, and going into this administration, you've seen a very consistent push towards an empowered IT organization partnered with the missions to drive value. And so that's going to continue, whether it's, and I think the form's going to change. So if I look at specific initiatives, right, process automation is continuing to be a huge hit with the government because the use of low code, RPA, those kinds of technologies gives an early return on investment for agencies so they're not locked into these multi-year system upgrades or modernizations. You can still do that, but while you're doing that, you can start to reap the returns by implementing automations that, that, that have easier quick wins, actually help you understand business processes better so that you can inform, if I need to go rebuild this entire system, I'd rather know and learn through some early automations what works, what doesn't work, what the users like. Cloud is gonna to continue to be a, a huge part of where the government's going. The government doesn't do the greatest of jobs running data centers. And, and, and I think everybody's seen that this commoditized service is a very valuable. And I think the, the, the service providers, the, the major cloud service providers have shown that they can handle uh, and secure data. I also think enterprise software delivery is going to continue to be, right? Software eats the world. Uh, every mission is going to have software as its primary means of delivering value. Uh, and then we've got to continue to be able to secure uh, all of these systems. And the last thing I think is, is, is a big uh, need for government is, is data and analytics. 
which is a huge topic in and of itself, but the three areas that I'm most interested in are uh, helping the government get, helping our customers get their data out of all their transactional systems into a form that they can and use analytics, um, govern and manage their data, especially when they're trying to bring data sets across diverse uh, programs, diverse uh, agencies. And then lastly, uh, move to cloud first processing of data to take advantage of the ability to stand up and stand down workloads, right? The, the thing that the cloud provides is that is that extensibility, the scalability, the elasticity that, you know, data problems really need you to be able to, if, if I want to go tack hard problem, if I used to process that in two days, if I could process it in an hour, would that mean value? Right. So I think those are the, the big things in data and analytics going forward. Right. So uh, do you think that the government in this case uh, needs to dive, uh, needs to take a leap of faith and just dive into all the, for example, uh, into cloud data, uh, cloud based data centers, or do you think they need to take it slow and, for example, start off with basic technologies like RPA and whatnot and slowly head towards uh, the emerging technologies? I think it needs to be measured, right? I, I remember the policy back in, goodness, this was back at the beginning of the Obama administration, right? This cloud, Vivek Kundra's cloud first. Well, now it's cloud smart because what people found out is, you know, you go to the cloud without having a plan, the cloud will eat your lunch. And so I, I look at things like this of is, I think in any case when you're trying to make that transformation the key is to being a small a agile is take that incremental approach so that you're learning the whole time through. If you have this idea that you want to get here, you, you want to get to this, this far off place where I am digitally transformed, you can't attack that in a big bang because circumstances will change. Requirements will change. This idea that we can fully understand our needs at the start of an effort is in software, especially in, in, in digital, especially is ludicrous, right? When I'm building an aircraft carrier, I know what I'm going to build, right? I can build the, a wonderful Gantt chart and a beautiful project plan. And I'm unlikely to change some of the core capabilities and features of an aircraft carrier. When I'm building a software system to manage my, my program business, the world's going to change. And, and frankly, it, I think knowing exactly what a user wants, at the start of a software project is unknowable. So why am I trying to create the unknowable? I wanna create the good enough, test, respond, learn. And so if we can act as a learning organization as we go through this process, and that's where I think RPA and things like that is the leap to more AI, more automated processing, test it, understand it, learn what it means to, to your systems, to your security, to your processes. and and most of all to your people, right? We've got to factor in the humans and help the humans move from the way they th do things now to the way they can do things in the future. Right, so uh, another thing that I'm thinking is that, uh, don't you think the government should be, <clears throat> like uh, the government should be the line of defense between, for example, a, a rogue technology or a safe technology? Uh, how do you think, uh, this should play out. Do you think the people or the community should be testing out these technologies first, and uh, they should be uh, these technologies should be rolled out to the public, to the consumer first, or do you think the government should 
put enough effort into making sure that these technologies are safe? So I, I think there are some cases where the government needs to be a part of it. An example in, in, in looking at telecommunications uh, equipment is making sure as we make the move to 5G that in fact we're building off of uh, secure technologies and products that are not going to introduce fundamental vulnerabilities. Um, let, let's, let's be real, not all nation states and their technologies play, play fair. And so we've got to be mindful in the U.S. Uh, that we're not, you know, we're not selling our souls because not every country, um, or let's just say every country behaves first with self-interest. So while we're in a global marketplace, it, it's not conclusive that all of the players in the global marketplace uh, behave equally fair. So I think for some things, the government should, should, should definitely be a part of it. Um, in other cases, uh, I am leery of the government's ability to, to regulate more in some of the spaces. I mean, the government struggles. That was one of them, right? We struggle with our workload of regulating. And so the government really needs to regulate those things that are, that are very, very important uh, you know, critical infrastructure type technologies. And, but, but for innovation standpoint, you know, let industry innovate, let industry create the next generation of technologies that can, that can add value both to citizens directly or citizens through their government services. Right. So uh, you mentioned 5G, which is an interesting topic since a lot of people are uncomfortable for some reason, I'd say with the, 5G since it's it's supposed to be the next big thing in uh, networking and uh, communication. How is the government responding, and is the government adopting it or actively pursuing? I think that yeah, I think the government's looking very closely at it, and and the areas that I think are, I'll, I'll go back to my last uh, gig in the government, USDA, right? Uh, rural America is dying for broadband. Um, it's one of the biggest impediments to, I, I don't know that it has exactly the same impact as electrification, but I mean, at the beginning of the century, right, rural America was very, very different in terms of uh, what your home life looked like. And so you spent a large majority of day gathering water to support all those things that you did for a household you're cooking with wood, you're gathering water. And so the, the statistics on the amount of labor involved in running a household without electricity were astounding. Uh, and at the time there was not, so I didn't, it wasn't unprofitable for electric companies to, to bring electric to rural neighborhoods. It was not as profitable. And so the government stepped in to really, make it and change the incentives so that elect, elect, uh, elect, ah, electricity could be brought to all of rural America through the rural electrification program. I think something we've been working on something like that from a rural broadband perspective, but I tell you 5G makes that a whole lot easier because the, the investment of running cable to every household versus the investment to running towers is very, very different. There's a scale factor there that I think, you know, I looked, we were looking at it from our rural, uh, our, just our offices, right? There were 2,400 plus offices in our mission area across the country, nearly every county. 
And we were looking at, man, if I don't have to run fiber to these offices and I can use 5G, they're going to get better bandwidth than I can provide them through it because I'm using commercial providers, right? right? So the incentives were, I, I think, I think 5G starts to really turn the needle for elect or for broadband in rural areas in a ways that we have yet to compute. Right. So uh, are there any security concerns with regards to 5G or do you think all of that, all of the, the hysteria is just, I think you've got to pick the components and products that are not uh, filled with back doors from certain countries who have shown a history of, of uh, bad acting in creating products. So yes, I do think there's, I think it's the security I worry about is the security and the hardware that's being used to build it out. Um, I don't think the, the speeds or the technology of 5G itself is fundamentally different. I think it's, the, it's making sure the hardware um, is secure and, and managing the supply chain, making sure that, that those installations have some providence that you can show that, that you've created, at least on the hardware side, something that, that is going to work and is secure. Fair point. So apart from 5G, what other uh, recent advancements in technology do you think will pave the way for a better future in, in the next couple of years? I, I think the the rise of machine learning and artificial intelligence and, and everybody hypes that up, I think sometimes a little too much. I, I look at, um, that's why I love RPA, right? This idea of I can create something that is going to immediately help you. And I think the, the biggest immediate benefit of these type of technologies is just to start to take the drudgery out of digital work. Um, like I said, part of it can be done when you just completely rewrite all of your systems. But part of it is, I mean, we just do, I don't know how many times that you do certain things. It's like, why am I doing this? This is not, you know, this isn't adding, adding any value to me as a human. So I look at um, the, the rise of, of AI, RPA, machine learning as things that can augment and support and actually bring the human back into digital business. Um, that's, that's what gets me excited about those areas is if I can couple uh, you know, machine learning algorithms to review data with somebody who's got expertise, now you know, I, can, I can find the needle in the haystack, but what does that mean to me as a human? If I understand the business case around that, if I pull those two together, you know, digital and human together are much more powerful than each other alone. All right, that sounds great. All right, so uh, lastly, what role do you think a CIOs will play in uh, terms of adoption of these technologies and also the advancement of these technologies? I think the CIO has to take a leadership role and, and I think the leadership role has to be from the value to the company, the value to the agency. And so the CIO needs to shift from and shift towards business and mission value vice just the role as technologist. So I, I think we need to be as, as uh, conversant in everything about our business as anybody else at the, at the board, at a board meeting, at the C-suite, 
is to be that trusted partner. And so I could see CIOs in many companies being, in essence, a chief product officer, a chief operating officer in many senses, but they've got a little bit of understanding of the technology and the value that the technology can bring. So it becomes less um, technology focused, more business value focused. That's where I think, and, and I think that trend is continuing. Uh, and so even more so the stress on what does technology mean for us and how can that make a difference to our mission, to our bottom line is where the CIOs need to be. That's an interesting point. So do you think which way should this be approached? There's one option that you, you hear about a new technology, for example, blockchain is pretty trending right now. So you hear about blockchain and you, do you think how can I implement blockchain and what advantages will it bring to my, uh, to my firm or in this case, the government? Or do you go the other way around and you identify the problems that you're facing and then find a suitable technology for that? Well, I, I think there's, in, in, in this case, there's never one, one size fits all. I look at it no differently than I look at how I would plan an effort, right? There's you got to plan left to right and you can have a plan right to left. And the, the union of those two is valuable. So in this case, really you look at technology from a, you've got to understand the problem space. Um, it is so easy, especially for most of the people that get into this work line of work or problem solvers. When you're a problem solver, you tend to jump to the solution instead of fully understanding the problem. So it, it, it absolutely pays to understand the pain points and problems of your current business. That said, uh, you've got to have a futurist mindset as well to understand the possibilities, right? The possibilities of technology may invalidate many of your problems because you could take that leap um, that would, you know, eliminate those problems because you're going to change the way you do business fundamentally. And so, I had a really great opportunity, took a course up at MIT around the product technology. And I look at it as a portfolio, right? If you continue to bet on the safe bets, right? On your product lines, your business lines, you're going to go out of business because somebody's going to come up with something radical that is going to invalidate your model. Same thing with te technology investments. I look at it as a portfolio. If I don't have some low probability, high payoff, uh, bets in my portfolio, then, then I'm in deep trouble. And so I evaluated, there's definitely some things I got to do that are safe bets that are, that are going to see a, an, a low risk ROI. But if I don't put, you know, five, 10% of my portfolio into these moonshots, uh, I am very likely to be irrelevant in three, four years. So I think that portfolio mindset is a very powerful, uh, powerful, a rubric for how to think about what you need to do as a CIO. That's great. All right, Chad, uh, that is the end of our conversation from our side. Uh, thank you so much for taking out the time again. Oh, it's great. Great conversation, Rashawn. I appreciate it. Great having you. Bye-bye. All right. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to BetterTech. We look forward to bringing you the latest industry news in our next episode. In the meantime, check out our other episodes at techcell.com slash podcast and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode.